0: Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to these local experts who have information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. Thank you for tuning in this morning for a special medical edition of our show. But today, the focus is going to be turned towards the day-to-day workings of some of our local medical providers. Providence and the Kodiak Community Health Center being in the spotlight this morning. It's been about 10 months since we last had some of our local medical administrators in. And in the interim, we've heard secondhand from the doctors what's been going on behind the scenes. So it seemed high time to bring in some of the administrators again to give us an update on what's been going on in their facilities, to try and deal with the pandemic, what's been done, what the challenges have been, and where they see all of this going into the future and over the long haul as we continue to try and fight this virus. Joining us today, again, the CEO of the Kodiak Community Health Center, Carol Osterman, and the new administrator for Providence, Carl Hertz. You can join the conversation, call 486-3181 or email your question to lowdown at org, and I will try and get them to answer the question during the course of the show. Thank you very much for showing up this morning. I appreciate it. It's nice to uh, no see you, Carl. Glad nice to, to hear here. you, Carol. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I... I, I We've been thinking about this ever since, you know, it's a, it's a year. Now it's we're almost a year into this. Uh, when we scrambled around and try and tried to figure out who to bring in and who to talk to back a year ago. Um, the hospital, of course, came up immediately in the medical community. And originally we conceived this to be a thing where we would talk to the doctors and the medical health providers. Uh, one week, and then we talked to the administrators the following week, and that sort of dropped by the wayside pretty quickly, and we pretty much concentrated on the medical providers because they're the doctors, you know, because that's what everybody was interested in. They wanted to know the science. They wanted to know, but we all know uh, you've been dealing with this for a really long time, and the perception seems to be that Kodiak has sort of survived the, the brunt of this, but Really, the background stories that we continue to hear is this has been a real challenge for our local providers to deal with. So I just kind of wanted to talk with you both about, you know, what kind of things that you've been dealing with over the course of the last eight months to try and stay ahead of this for our community. So I'll I'll let you go first, Carol, since uh, since I can't see you and. It, 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 it'll it'll stop the crosstalk a little bit, I guess if i i, I turn it over one to the next.
1: That'll help. Um, yeah, this has just been a crazy year. I mean, it's been a crazy year for everybody, but I think that being in healthcare has really magnified that just a thousandfold. So we're we've just been struggling all along to keep ahead of it, like you said, and that's researching. Trying to figure out what's coming up next, keeping ahead of the knowledge on the vaccine, uh, the treatments, all of those things. Procedurally, we have probably changed every single process we do in our clinic in the last year to to um, allow for being safe for COVID. And so, you know, we have been trying to keep our staff as safe as possible, keep our patients safe as possible. The switch to telemedicine was huge for us just that was a big big change and took a lot of work behind the scenes to make that happen for our patients the billing and reimbursement side of this has just been pretty crazy Uh, i've got billing and finance staff who've just worked night and day to figure out how to how to pay for everything that we need to pay for Um, And then how to get the grants that we've been eligible for, how to meet all the requirements of those grants, Um, the staffing side when schools close um, and people have to be home with their kids, when we have a a staff member who is actually COVID positive, and then there's a bunch of people out because of close contacts. Uh, The administrative side of this has really just been almost overwhelming. And I think the thing that's just been savior for the clinic is that we've got a fantastic staff and everybody has stood up and done what needs to be done. And it has really been a wonderful way. The outcome of all this has been a wonderful way to bring our teams together and just figure out the best way to serve our patients. So I'm really proud of all my staff at KCHC.
0: At at some point in time, I mean, I remember originally you were both organizations were circling the wagons before we actually shut things down. You know, there was a lot of uh, concerted effort within the staff and within the medical system, uh, calling on other organizations, looking at different models. Um, But at some point in time, you, you pretty much had to go remote right I mean you had to at first we were talking about well this is how we'll do we'll have a meeting every day and we'll try and figure out where we're at Um, but at some point in time your staff had to move away you know you had to identify the people that could actually be in the facility and then uh, so it had to change the way that you did business right
1: Absolutely. We absolutely did. One of the things that we did was in that evaluation of who could potentially work from home, who needed to be in the clinic. Um, We have a secondary building that we have administrative staff. And one of the things that we did was we actually moved people who could work from home out of that building and then moved some of our high risk staff members. So people who have underlying health conditions, people who are older, Um, we actually moved them to a separate building because we had to have them working in, in the clinic, but we needed to keep them safe. And so we moved staff all around. Um, We, and, and in doing that and sending people to work from home, we actually were then able to open up some space inside the clinic so that our, our staff that were doing direct patient care could be a little bit further apart because we're, we're pretty jammed into our space. We, we've outgrown our space at, at the hospital. And, um, and so we're really tightly um, next to each other in our workspaces. So that helped us a little bit get some more space between people, kept the clinical staff safer. Um, and then in all of that, we had to build that telework structure underneath so that they could actually work from home. Um, and we did that at the same point in time that we were building our telehealth structure so that we could provide that healthcare to patients at home.
0: Carl, you want to jump
2: in? Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, a little disadvantage of the history here. Uh, today marks my one month anniversary as an employee of Providence health and, and, uh, being a citizen of Kodiak. And so, um, I know Don Hanna, who was the interim CEO, uh, was here for about six months and, and we visited before I got on Island. And, um, you know, in December, I guess when it was really ramping up, he, some of the things we talked about was, um, he was really concerned at that time that, you know, one or two more nurses, if we would lose them, uh, to quarantine, um, that, uh, the hospital was going to be in real, real trouble. And so I think that was probably the scariest time for this organization in that um, we really, really were low on staff and we were bringing in uh, patients. And so um, it was, I think from how he described it, it was touch and go. Um, As you've said, uh, it's kind of, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here now. It's been nearly three weeks now since we've had a, a COVID positive inpatient uh, staying in the hospital, and so everyone listening should knock on wood. Um, so that those are all things that are boding well for us. Um, infrastructure wise, you know when i when I first got here, the uh, physical therapy department was still completely closed down. It was a separate entrance, and they had built kind of a uh, moved all the equipment and and built some plastic walls so that if we had to have some overflow, with COVID positive patients, we'd have a place to take them. You know, all those things do ultimately impact um, the hospital because um, folks couldn't come here anymore for their physical therapy. Folks couldn't come here anymore for their um, specialty uh, appointments, and and uh, even radiology and lab was very very limited, which is frustrating for lots of folks. But it felt like that was the right thing to do when we when we had to shut shut normal operations down to the hospital, because really we were trying to uh, take care of the patients we had in the building, but also at that time, uh, protect our staff. We really were concerned that um, there were only a few key positions left and we were gonna be in a lot of trouble from a staffing perspective. And like Carol said, uh, super proud of the staff. Folks worked night and day to keep the place open and make sure our patients received the care they needed. Um, and and really not a lot of complaining or grumbling. It's like everyone just kind of bears down and realizes we're in this thing together and we got to figure it out. Um, I do worry a little bit um, as kind of this outsider who's been observing these last four weeks here. You can tell that the, maybe a year long pressure is starting to uh, show on uh, some of the folks in, in how they feel. And, and I worry about what, kind of post-traumatic stress disorder we might all experience uh, um, as we go through this thing. And then there's also a thing, post-traumatic growth disorder, where you kind of sit back after the 12 or 16 months and you're like, holy cow, I can't believe I just went through all that. And it can kind of wash over you. And so I think um, one of the maybe silver linings in this whole COVID thing is it finally has shown a light on behavioral health and how important um, each of us, uh, our health is to us, our behavioral health is to us. And, uh, that's something that I'll be paying attention to here pretty closely. Um, cause every once in a while you can see some, uh, tempers flare or some, uh, frustrations bubble to the surface. And, and, uh, I think, you know, after 12 months of this kind of stuff, it's, it's probably, um, expected and, and not, um, surprising that some things would flare up.
0: Well, that is one of the more troubling studies that's come out now lately where they're they're talking about the long-term effects to the medical professionals, the people that are on the front lines dealing with this all the time. So as administrators are, you're already seeing it, how are you preparing to deal with it in the long term of you know what what is it like for your staff and how can you keep them um, mm-hmm. above water if this continues for another year? That's a,
2: that's a great question that we're still trying to sort out. And, you know, we're fortunate that we have great counseling centers in this community and great professionals to help, but it's almost getting folks over that stigma of of being willing to ask, you know, and, and recognize, Hey, uh, I need a little break here. And, and I've heard stories where folks have, you know, said, I I just can't do anymore. I, I need to take some uh, time off. And then, and they'll come back and say, "I didn't realize I was kind of in the place I was until I stepped away from the pressure and the everyday uh, COVID awareness. When you're when you're swimming around in it every day here, um, whether there's patients here or not, you're always at this sense of heightened alert. And um, I think as human beings, we can take that for a little while, you know, um, but when it's a a year's worth, eventually it starts to wear you down. And so I, that's, that's a great question, Mike, like, um, and I think it's one that as a community, we're going to have to walk through it hand in hand. And I, th- I think really what I've been asking folks to do is just be aware of that, be kind to one another, uh, recognize that, you know, the way you cope isn't the way my neighbor copes or the way my brother copes. And that's okay. Um, we're all on this journey of individualness together. Um, but we have each other as a family to hold us together. So I don't know how we're going to do it. I just know that we will and we'll succeed because we're all, we're all we have on this Island is each other.
0: Carol, you must've been. Uh... Oh, Carl. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I was just going to say, he just, he just said that so well. Um, and I absolutely agree with everything he said. I had a, a board uh, member meeting this last couple of weeks and I, they I give a report at our board um, meetings every month and I actually said to them this month that the number one thing I am most personally worried about moving forward with COVID is our own staff mental health. Um, It is, it has been such a long year for us and, you know, it's, it's been kind of interesting. You, you watch your friends on Facebook or, you know, some other social media platform who have been working from home or um, have been, you know, just not really doing very much because they're they're stuck at home all the time during this last year. When you're a healthcare worker, you are working like crazy. (laughs) And so that's been kind of this uh, disparity between us, between a lot of people. And it has been hard. It has been really hard to just be on, like Carl said, all the time. Um, and especially when your family members and your friends are not. They're bored and, and you can't ever turn off your work, um, especially at the administrative level. That's that's really tough for the people who are managing this. So it, it is really a big concern. Um, We're trying to do little things at the clinic all the time, um, not only focusing on, like Carl said, about getting our staff into actual mental health, behavioral health appointments with therapists. We would love it if that would happen um, and encourage it every day. But we're trying to do little things just to get people in a better mood, to let them let off some steam. Um, On Friday, I had an all-staff meeting, and I actually bought pinatas And uh, my staff went at it on a, on pinatas on Friday and um, they just got out some great frustration. And so even just being able to do little things like that in the clinic, I think helps, but he's right about the community and we've all kind of got to come together and, if, as friends and neighbors, you guys can realize the kind of stress that the healthcare workers are have been under for this last year, uh, we would really appreciate your help and assistance through that.
0: Carol, when this is kind of really specific to you, uh, back when before the before the virus actually appeared, you know, on the island, uh, when you were getting ready for this. I remember, wasn't this when you were making plans, how how your organization was going to proceed and certain people were um, going to work distance-wise, and, and you ramped up and got everything going. Then we had to sit and wait for quite a long time before the first case to actually appear. So doesn't that tend to, you know?
1: That was such a hard time
0: yeah and now that it's here it 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 almost seems like we're um how do you keep going how do you keep alert you know how do you how do you keep people involved in the in in what they're doing i I don't know i guess i'm well
1: i think for us yeah for us that that waiting period was really hard and for we we look at it and, you know, and looking back, we still say this in, in my leadership meetings, my managerial meetings, It, we were so lucky. We were just insanely lucky in Kodiak that we had all that time to prepare because, you know, what I said earlier about in the last year, we have literally changed every process we do in the clinic to adjust for this. And so what that did is it gave us the time to do that. So, like you said, when we were talking before in April, we were ramping up all of the big stuff. But what that waiting period gave us was the chance to go look at the little things that underlie those to make sure that all those things were correct. And so, you know, the staff definitely had stuff to do. we were we were working. Um, but I think mentally, emotionally, that waiting period was tough. And so then once it actually started here and we had our first positive, um, then it, it gave us a way to actually implement all those new processes we've been doing. But it, it did add to the stress for sure.
0: So, Carl, I'm going to ask you, you, you've only been here for a month, but you're, you've been involved in a medical community prior to coming here. One, thank you for coming here in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I was wonder what, what what would possess somebody to actually make a transfer at a time when this disease is rampant throughout the place. What, what kind of what kind of environment did you come from before, and can you make a comparison between the healthcare system dealing with COVID in Wyoming, as compared to what we're doing here.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I came from uh, Memorial Hospital of Converse County located in Douglas, Wyoming. And so it's a a town of about 7,500 people, uh, 25 bed critical access hospital, similar exactly uh, what we have here in uh, Providence, Kodiak Island Medical Center. Um, And I've actually wondered that same thing myself, like why would you get up and move in the middle of a, a pandemic and I got to tell you, some of it, I think um, I hear Carol talk about uh, how it was to ramp everything up and then sit around and wait. I've heard that from our staff here in the hospital as well. And and really, um, we had the exact same experience. You know, everyone was panicking on the coasts and it was um, even getting into Iowa, Nebraska, that kind of thing. We shut down all of our elective surgeries. We shut down all of our physical therapy. We Took a uh, an old um, clinic building and converted that to the COVID respiratory health clinic, and we put everyone in a in a uh, work pool and sent them over there. Um, we were staffed to the hilt, and no one came, and no one came, and no one came, and and uh, it it was kind of this um, sense of impending doom uh, that was maybe everyone was feeling as they watched the little red dots get closer and closer to Douglas. And I, I imagine it was similar feelings here. And, and uh, I was very involved in, in the startup um, and the operations and all those things from a COVID perspective back in Douglas. And um, I think I'm guessing they're very similar here. Um, And as I look at different players in this hospital, I can see the names of players in my other hospital. So really, they're the same, the same um, things to manage with maybe just different names or different approaches. I think it was kind of a reset for me, for my mental health, to be honest with you. Like um, I've been going constantly, like many people across the country had been. And um, the opportunity to serve here as the chief executive officer, um, um, was exciting to me. Um, the idea of living on Kodiak Island was very exciting to me. And uh, walking away from my responsibilities was also very exciting to me in Douglas, Wyoming, even though I was bringing new ones or the same responsibilities here. It kind of gave me this mental break and this mental reset to where um, when I walked into the hospital here, I could tell people were tired um, experiencing a lot of the same things I did in Douglas and I was rejuvenated. Like I was ready to, to, uh, take on new challenges. Um, I liked solving puzzles and I saw a bunch of them in front of me that were new and different. And, um, so I think that, uh, there was maybe a little selfishness in, uh, deciding to leave Douglas and, and come to Kodiak because it, it maybe gave me that few weeks of total downtime that I needed Uh, before starting back in
0: well how do you deal with the staffing issues that you're dealing with then I mean I would imagine in Wyoming you may have the same things here but don't doesn't our community rely a lot on people coming in to to give the doctors and the nurses and the specialty services folks a, a break you know and that how does that happen now
2: yeah, that's a big challenge, and and so the difference I would say in Wyoming was, if we wanted to recruit nurses and um, tried to, quote unquote, steal them from other hospitals, you know, all you had to do was convince them to to turn the wheel and drive to our hospital instead of drive to a different one, and we could address some staffing issues here. As you know, that's not quite that simple, and so. We today we have like 60 open positions in the hospital that represents 20 percent of our total budgeted uh, FTEs, full time equivalents. And so um, not only is our our staff fighting this um, continual battle with covid and 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 um, figuring out new processes and, you know, the constant threat of um, contracting it or spreading it or caring for it. (coughs) They're doing it with um, less employees, less less caregivers, and a good number of what we call travelers, which are just you know healthcare professionals that choose to be on the traveling circuit. Which means they might take an assignment in Kodiak for six weeks or eight weeks or six months, whatever the contract is. Um, and really, um, from a community hospital perspective, it's really hard to um, Get a lot of cultural traction when you have so many uh, traveling healthcare professionals in the building because, you know, it's temporary. We're certainly happy that they are here. Welcome them. And we're so glad they're here to help. And we also know they're only here for a short period of time. And so we got to get our act together and recruit permanent uh, replacements.
0: But in the time of COVID, is that more challenging or is it just is it challenging even before COVID because there's not enough people willing to go into the business Uh, from what I can tell, I think it
2: was very challenging um, prior to COVID. And I think COVID um, uh, was the last nail on the coffin from, from a perspective of uh, staffing because now, now nursing is in such high demand across the entire nation that it's even harder to attract and, um, and get some of those traveling healthcare professionals to come to Kodiak, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of winter, in Alaska. Um, I, like I'm so super excited that Kodiak's climate is what it is. It's a lot warmer than the state I came from, a lot less snow than the state I came from. I think it's a tropical paradise. <laughs> um, but, but I come from this, you know, high altitude place in Wyoming. A lot of the travelers that you're that you're recruiting um, when, when they're not as open-minded, I guess, and they have lots of opportunities in front of them. They could pick Kodiak. They could pick California, Washington, Texas. You know, they've got all these choices. So it does make it a little more challenging to sweeten the pot to get them to come here. And, um, and it's expensive to be honest with you. You know, you're, you're paying for them to get here. You're paying a premium. You're putting them up, in a in an apartment, you're giving them a car, like all those kind of things, um, also impact the bottom line for when you're trying to balance your budget.
0: Carol, do you have that same kind of staffing challenge at the? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing
1: you, Mike.
2: Are you still there? I think he froze up. He wondered if you were having the same challenges.
1: Oh, OK, <laughs> like, I didn't think it was me. Um, but if his question was, what are our staffing issues like? We are so lucky right now. And through this last year, we have really been able to keep our staff at the highest um, level, which has just been amazing. I think we have one vacancy right now. Um, and we haven't lost people during COVID. We've only had a couple of people move out of state um, during this last year. And so we have been super lucky in that we are fully staffed, and I hope that we can continue that way.
0: Now, do you, do you, do you have the same – are traveling health care providers part of your uh, model for operating the health uh, – the community health center?
1: They are on occasion. A couple times a year, we will bring in um, a locums provider, so a traveling provider, and that's usually a doctor that will bring who will cover our hospital call for our providers who are on vacation. So it, it helps us, but we only do it a couple times a year. It's not it's not part of our, our norm like it is at the hospital.
0: Good. Okay. At some point in time, I think, Carl, you kind of mentioned that maybe we're close to getting back to normal service there. Some of the services that were temporarily halted are being reinstated. Um, Are we to that point where at some point in time we're going to be running operations like sort of normal?
2: So, um, you know, the community moved to yellow and the hospital remains at orange. Um, but as I said, it's been almost, it's three weeks now since we've had a, a, COVID positive inpatient knock on wood. Um, and so as we look at the, the COVID numbers across, I mean, we can look at them across the state, but specifically what we're looking at them is across Kodiak. Um, as those numbers continue to trend down, I would foresee us going to, uh, moving from orange to yellow, which will really kind of open up even more. I don't know, like, I think I'm. I think green is almost like pre-COVID, so I don't know if we're we're gonna have to redefine what green is. It's almost like yellow is the new green. Um, but what I would say is uh, we've already, you know, started surgeries back up, physical therapies back up, operating, visiting uh, specialists have returned and are and are seeing patients. We're tracking how many open. Um, open appointment slots we have and making sure we can get folks filled. The surgical team and the, and the surgeons have worked on kind of prioritizing the stack of people that need some elective surg- surgeries that have been put off um, during the COVID. And I, and I think that's some of the, the things that we're gonna start to see now is these folks that were scared to come to the hospital or you know unable to come to the hospital because we shut down all those services they kind of sat and their conditions kind of, uh, festered or whatever, um, weren't managed as closely. And so we're, we're really excited to get them back in the doors and, and get their labs ran again and, and get to working with them to, to get them back on their regiment, um, get them back into physical therapy and so forth. So, um, I would say we're, we're returning pretty much to, I guess it's a new normal. Now we're still screening folks at the door. Um, when we go to yellow, we'll probably discontinue doing that. Um, and, and there's still, you know, we all make decisions based on fear. Um, and, uh, what I've been telling folks here is with, without total information, we tend to fill the void with negativity. And, um, and so there's still lots of unknowns. And so we don't imagine the best outcomes. We imagine what, what the worst outcomes could be. So, um, We're still working through that as a leadership group, trying to determine how and when we will open up and and allow folks in like the good old days.
0: Hmm. Carol? Well,
1: we're we're looking forward to um, being able to have the hospital allow patients in more regularly for labs and radiology. Um, specifically, that has probably been one of the biggest impacts to our patient base is not being able to go to the hospital to get some some basic work done that that uh, is important to their own health that we as KCHC can't provide. So that's been really tough on us. But we're, you know, like Carl says, green is um, <laughs> green is probably never going to be the same as it as it used to be. I believe we will always offer telehealth in some form. Um, Probably not at the level that we've been offering it for the last nine months or so, but we will always offer telehealth appointments. And I think that we have been able to encourage a lot of those patients who've been less, um, less excited to come in to a medical facility during COVID. I think over the last month or two, Uh, we've been able to get a lot of those patients finally in and the ones that we haven't, you know, I think that we will, as, as the vaccine becomes more and more uh, actually uh, that more and more people have gotten the vaccine. Right. Well,
0: if you're running the hospital already on 20% reduction in the amount of uh, optimal amount of staff and now, we're starting your return. I, I would assume that meant because of the reduction in what you are actually doing, it was manageable a little bit. But now, as it starts to return without those twenty percent in there, and people starting to continue to burn for a while, um, it's going to be more of a challenge in the in the short term here, right?
2: Yeah, you know, it actually took us a, a good almost two weeks to figure out the the schedule because we had. Um, other duties as assigned, as we had lost staffing, we had taken like the folks that were working in physical therapy, and we'd move them to the inpatient floor to help manage patients. And we'd moved patients or moved nurses and other caregivers out of the specialty clinics to care for patients. And so all that was working really well when you didn't have uh, outpatients. And then when we said, when Carl Hertz showed up and said, oh, let's turn this thing back on, um, I was quickly cautioned and, and uh, our, our leaders said, hey, there's a little problem with that. We, we took all the staff that runs outpatient and they're now managing for our inpatient. And and we still were having 10 to 12, you know, inpatient census a day. So um, I learned quickly that uh, we had to take some time, step back. and And I was super proud of the staff to figure out and the leaders here to figure out how we could cover that. But we couldn't. We didn't open it up hundred percent day one. We had to kind of ease ourselves into it, and we still have some providers that or caregivers that normally would work in the clinics um, or physical therapy that are still pulling some shifts up on the inpatient floor. So you're spot on. Like we we had to shuffle once we started tearing down that that uh, staffing pool. Um, we had to we had to think creatively on how to get things back to normal.
0: Do you have the same effect at the health clinic, Carol? Are, are, are you seeing those? Well,
1: because, like I said, we're, yeah, because we were fully staffed, that was a little bit different. Um, but we have been kind of going up and down a little bit more than the hospital has. We, we are not on the same kind of code uh, philosophy. And so we have been able to be a little bit more nimble in that, okay, this week, it looks like things are good. So we're going to open up more in-person appointments. Um, Next week, okay, we're getting more and more cases, we're going to close that back down. And I think that that's allowed us to have this flexibility to see our patients as needed, rather than build up a a big group of them that, um, that need to be seen, and then we don't have the ability to do that.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, December after Thanksgiving when our numbers started going through the roof. Um, what kind of? We hear rumors. You know, this was really out of control. That the the demand on the healthcare providers was beyond. I, let's just put it this way: some of the doctors sort of were were telling me these were some of the hardest weeks they've ever experienced. I mean, what kind of things did the hospital and the health clinic have to deal with during that time when our numbers were really high?
1: It was terrible. It really was. Um, And mostly because of the fear. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier that, and especially, you know, earlier in the year when it was that sit and wait time period. And um, then when it really hit and really hit us hard after Thanksgiving and, you know, we were so disappointed as a healthcare community that people really did not pay attention to those warnings about staying home for Thanksgiving. I mean, it was it was very very clear. Two weeks after Thanksgiving, our numbers skyrocketed, um, and so it it was difficult because we were trying to manage all of that testing because there was fear in the community. And so everybody wanted to be tested whether you had symptoms or not. And so our levels of testing just skyrocketed. And the staff that it takes to do that is pretty insane. Um, the fear of our own healthcare providers went way up. Um, and then the actual workload that was happening for our doctors at the hospital you know, our doctors take um, inpatient care at the hospital for our patients. And so they were seeing, you know, up to, I think we might have had 11 at one point. I'm not positive of that number, but it was somewhere close to 11 COVID patients um, that were kind of in and out of the hospital in that same week. Um, and that was, that was really difficult because the providers, there were several of those patients that the providers were just waiting to see, are they going to get better? Or are they not going to get better? And there's really so little that you can do for that patient once you've given them that initial medication. It's just a wait and see, and um, that that's hard. It's hard for them to have the fear of losing patients.
2: And I I would just say, you know, there's Kodiak uh, Island Medical Center's kind of old school in that when you go to larger hospital settings, there's hospitalists who manage inpatients and that's their sole duty. Like that's, that's they're responsible for taking care of whichever patient gets admitted to the inpatient floor. And here um, we still rely on our day-to-day providers. So those folks at KCHC, the providers, not only do they see folks in clinic, but then they're also the ones that admit to the floor and they have to come to the floor and, and follow them. And so that, that creates a whole nother layered nuance when you're dealing with COVID because back in Douglas, um, you know, our primary care physicians could just admit to the floor and, and they were physically separated from them, you know, because the hospitalists were taking care of the patients that they admitted here. Um, The docs might see them in clinic or might not but then have to admit them to the floor and then they're rotating through and they have to go see the patients and then still manage their clinics and and their partners and so forth so it it's a um it's just another layer of complexity when you're trying to manage covid patients on kodiak island and then the way the hospital is structured we have these pods and so We are able to put up, you know, plastic walls, zip walls, we call them, and change the air exchanges so that we could have COVID patients and then non-COVID patients and try to assign specific staff. You're going to be a COVID caregiver today. You're going to be a non-COVID caregiver today. And um, it all looks good on paper, but when you start losing staff and then you start getting uh, patients that spill out of the pods and now you have to take that pot of four and now you have a pot of eight and then when you go to 11 patients or so now you have some empty rooms that are technically covid for covid patients but we don't have covid patients to put in there we have healthy patients to put in there or non covid patients to put in there but we don't want to mix them and so then it really starts to strain the infrastructure of where where the slots are, where the beds are for these patients. And and of course, um, behavioral health patients, a lot of times will spend some time here uh, in their own pod on the inpatient floor. And so you're managing all of those things in conjunction with non-COVID sick patients, COVID sick patients, and a limited staff. So I think I'm certain uh, during those times that physicians did feel unusually high stress and pressure. And, and um, again, I, I think, you know, we were pretty close to some catastrophic collapse here um, because other parts of the state were also dealing with COVID and, and um, uh, we're trying to figure out how to, to bring other providers to Kodiak if we needed to. So there were some high pressure times there for
0: sure. The the quarantine issues that are it must be a a serious challenge to try and deal with the contamination and the effect on the staff you know um if there's community spread how that affects your staff and how they go about the business It, it must be quite a challenge to try and manage all that
2: well there and you know it's there are lives. They do have lives, uh, human beings outside of this <laughs> hospital. And, so, and the other thing they're trying to manage is, um, you know, where'd my kids go today? Did they stay home? Were they quarantined? Were they safe? Um, I hope they did their homework. Um, uh, did my spouse go to work? Um, uh, did he follow all the rules or she follow all the rules? I don't want to come home and contaminate them. I certainly don't want them to contaminate me cause I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, be the next person to, to not be able to report for work at the hospital. So it is a high pressure game, especially when the stakes are so high and, and, and scary. I think now we know, um, you know, the survivability is much higher than it was initially. The more we learn about the disease, um, the better we are prepared to handle it. And in, in, in my mind, it at least reduces some of the fear but it's still a scary deal. You know, we all know of people who, um, have died from it. So it's a very serious, very serious virus that, um, is kind of nefarious in how it, it travels throughout the, the community. And so that always just adds that little layer of fear. Um, even today, when you go into, into one of the stores, uh, downtown or something, you're, you know, you're just, you just kind of behave differently than you did a year ago.
0: Right. Carol, as though the quarantine, uh, have you had staffing issues in the last couple of months as things, the numbers started to pick up?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as, as we had staff who tested COVID positive, that, that was probably the most difficult piece for us because we're a small organization. Um, in a small space, and we're pretty crowded in that space we have. And so keeping the, the distance that is necessary to avoid becoming a close contact when you're at work in the clinic is really difficult. And so when we had staff who tested positive, that chain reaction of it was not only that person who was out, um, but then we also had... A, a circle of people around them who, who worked with them who were out. And at one point, I had uh, 30% of my staff out on either COVID positive or quarantining as a close contact. That was a tough couple of weeks <laughs> because, obviously, we didn't change our, our patient care level during those weeks because that was when the community also needed us the most. So uh, my staff really stepped up. Um, as they have this entire last year, and I'm so proud of the staff at KCHC. They've just done an, an amazing job, and especially when it came time to uh, really serve the community when, they're, when we were really low-staffed. That, that was the, the greatest thing. Everybody was willing to work extra hours. Everybody was willing to put in whatever was necessary to see the patients that needed us.
0: Let's talk a little bit about vaccinations. The vaccine is here. What kind of an extra load is that on your organizations to try and... I know the Providence is is the repository for the Pfizer vaccine, so you're the point place for holding it. But um, And and you you had the tent on Friday where you're doing community distribution. But, um, Carol, I know... um, In your clinic, you're actually actively setting people up for appointments every day. So do you have the staffing to to be able to actually get involved in the vaccine program at the same time you're doing your regular business?
1: Absolutely. And we've been planning for that. And we were working with the state on and the CDC to make sure that all of our procedures were in place. There is a pretty much crazy level of procedural background that has to happen for someone to get the vaccine. And then there's a, just a ton of paperwork that goes along with each individual vaccine. We're thankful that the hospital had the freezer to be able to hold the vaccines for our community. Um, but we go up every day, we get our allocation of vaccine. We're doing between 24 and 27 vaccines a day in the clinic. And um, we've been really proud of being able to set up a really safe uh, location for people to come and have a set appointment to come in and get their vaccine. And then we've got an observation area where we can watch them for that 15 to 30 minutes that they need to. And then um, we create their follow-up appointment for their second vaccine at that same day so they know when they're coming back. And we've gotten just great positive feedback from our patients about having that kind of an environment to, uh, to allow them to get vaccinated we're really happy that the community has had other options to get vaccinated because we have not been able to get enough vaccines from the state to vaccinate all of our patients that are eligible. So for example, in January, we were able to get 200 vaccines from the state for our clinic. We have 635 active patients who are over the age of 65. And so that, you know, gives you a, a idea of how many they've allocated to the different organizations um, in in comparison to how many patients they have. So it, it's been um, really great that the communities had other options, but we've been really proud of how we've set up our vaccination clinic.
0: Carl, are you going to continue doing the pop up tent drive through So that
1: so that
2: was not Providence. Um, we were happy to participate with that, but that was Kodiak's Emergency Operations Center that uh, set up that mass vaccination that was held on Friday. Um, and I think they had like 120 appointments and I'm uncertain if all 120 showed up or not. It was spread out um, all day long and and Kodiak Fire Department kind of ran point on that. Police Department, Harbor, uh, Bayside, like uh EOC like it was um it was a great community um effort to vaccinate folks that day um and and as mentioned we're the uh repository for all of the vaccine on the island but but i mean that's basically because we had the ultra low freezer and we could take the Pfizer vaccine we don't we can't distribute it like we get orders from the state who gets what amounts at what times and and that's what we have to do so um we're happy to be part of it, and um, we too hope that more vaccine comes to the island. Um, I think as this gets rolling, we should we should get our allotment. The entire country is uh, after vaccine right now, and and sometimes I feel like the little guy misses out from time to time on that. So we'll get there eventually. It'll take us through the summer, I think, before we get the entire island vaccinated. Um, and and uh, I look forward to that day for sure
0: let me um, let me close by just asking you both briefly um what the financial challenges have been for dealing with covid over the course of the last year and and what you see those challenges being in the in the next year or two it it has to have cost you so an enormous amount of money
1: it, it really has Mike, and, and we're, you know, we're nervous about that moving forward. Um, obviously, we saw way fewer patients in 2020 than we have in the past um, in person in the clinic. And if you, one of the big struggles that we've had has been our reimbursements for telehealth visits. And so, when you have an appointment with your doctor in person, your insurance company reimburses the the clinic a lot more money than if you have an appointment via telehealth. And so, but if you think about it, that that appointment is taking almost the same amount of resources, specifically for that doctor that you're seeing. And so, if you've got an hour-long appointment with a doctor, and we get reimbursed only say a third of what we would have if you saw them in person uh that that becomes a a big financial strain for us because we're still paying that doctor the same amount of money um and so we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like moving forward and how we're going to adapt to that and then obviously we've gotten some grants from the federal government, the CARES money, that kind of thing. And what that really allowed us to do was keep on top of all those changes that we had to make over this last year. And physical changes, uh, we had to get a, a place where we could do the COVID testing. We, have, we bought a, 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 a trailer that is parked over by our administrative building um and so then all the staffing that we had to bring on to do that so it's it's been um a crazy financial ride and we really don't know where 2021 is going to take us for that so there's some there's some trepidation and uh anxiousness there
2: yeah I, i think um that's kind of the key on that cares act money it was designed to um help hospitals not have to spend their own money to prepare for covid so like You know, if you had tents and trailers, like uh, Carol was mentioning, or you had to change some staffing matrices around, like you could you could then use some of that CARES Act money to pay for COVID related expenses. However, um, there uh, there is some, you know, lost revenue um, built into that as well. But a lot of hospitals across the country, um, they aren't able to to use enough lost revenue to justify um because you're low volume anyway a lot of these critical access hospitals are low volume anyway so larger larger institutions might have huge swings in lost revenue um and uh we not so much and so um it is impactful um i'm thankful for the cares act money and and i think you know there's always a silver silver lining um in these things i was taught as a kiddo and so I know uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, HHS, like they're working with uh, Congress to forever change those telehealth reimbursement models so that physicians um, can shift to telehealth and um, and be be paid the same as in person. But all of that hasn't been hammered out yet. Um, we'll look to in the coming years to see how that goes. And and um, really though, I think telehealth could be a a great answer for the folks here, um, on Kodiak Island. And in the past, what's kind of stifled that a little bit has been the reimbursement methodologies. And so hopefully they'll get all that sorted out so we can offer even more specialty services on the Island, especially behavioral health, things like that, that, um, lend itself to telehealth.
0: Okay. Let's close today with just, I'm going to ask you both, what can the community do to help you, um, move forward in the next year? I would say,
2: um, understand that we are all in this together. Um, Please be patient with us. Um, We know standing outside waiting to get let in is not ideal, we're working on that. Um, We're trying to figure out how to live within this new realm and uh, keep us safe, keep our patients safe, provide the services, and just recognize that um, um, we're all uh, we all carry different levels of uh, burden and fear, and to to be kind and patient and love one another that would be lots of help.
0: Thanks, Carl. Carl, I, I have to yeah,
1: I have to agree that that he he said that very well. On top of that, I think the number one thing that people can do is keep themselves and their families safe because. The more work that the community does in mask wearing and hand washing and staying six feet apart and not um, not being in large groups, those kinds of things, as we get through this vaccination process. Uh, will we'll continue to make a big difference because then that will hopefully alleviate another spike in cases. Even though we have now vaccinated um, the first vaccine for probably close to 1,000 patients um, across the community now, that one, they've only had the first vaccine and two, that is not a good, a high enough portion of our community getting vaccinated yet for it to really make a difference. Um, and so we really need people to continue in all of those things that you've been doing for the last year. And we're just going to cross our fingers that this vaccine is as effective as, as we need it to be.
0: Thank you. Carol Osterman, Carl Hertz, Providence, and the Kodiak Community Health Center, thanks very much for being with us this morning. I wish you a uh, pleasant February since we're in February now and uh, the sun is returning. Uh, happy anniversary, Carl. Thanks for coming to Kodiak. Uh,
2: thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All I right.
0: enjoyed it. The- Tune in Wednesday for another hey, edition. of thanks, uh, thanks, Carol. Wednesday for another edition of Dock of the Rock. Uh, you know, have yourself a great week.
2: Listening to KMXT Kodiak.